Hey guys, what's happening? Welcome in. This is your Tuesday, August 23rd episode of the OBR Film Breakdown. I'm your host, Jake Burns, and we are going to do a combined effort of our uh, comprehensive film breakdown, because this one, I think, listen, it was a lot of backups in the Browns, 21-20 loss to the Eagles, and, and, and again, you can get some indication of what the team is trying to do, but you can't always get everything you need to get uh you know when 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 none of the starters are playing for Cleveland it's going to be simulated in some sense in terms of uh so much as the tweaks and changes to personnel things like that but we'll go through it we'll talk through it and then I'll talk some performances as well cuz I think that's pretty important it, you know cuz there's some guys who played really well in this game so on offense the Browns ran 72 plays Okay, Uh, they had a nice day in terms of total yards, 403, 174 rushing yards, 229 passing yards, six penalties, four of which came on the offense. uh, As far as I can tell through the data that I have, they did not turn the football over, only punted one time, and they unfortunately missed one field goal that could have won them the game, hit off the upright from about, I think Cade York kicked that one from over 50, 52 I think was the number on that one. Otherwise, pretty strong performance. The 4 of 12 on third down is a bit concerning, but, you know, not the end of the world given who was playing. So, personnel in this one. They only use two types. They use 11 personnel, 52 snaps, a whopping 52, and then a 20 out of 72 usage of 12 personnel. So, in those 11 personnel snaps, 61 of 72 I should take that back. Just in general, the Eagles put five DBs on the field, 61 of 72 snaps. So they only played three linebackers on 11 snaps. So that means nine of their 12 personnel snaps the Browns ran out there. The Eagles put a nickel player on the field. They did blitz nine times. So there were nine five-man or more pressures in this game from Philly. And the Browns did 24 sets of motion or shifting, which is below their normal number. And again, you're dealing with backups. You want to eliminate mistakes and confusion and thinking. I think that's important. 16 outside zone runs, super simplified run game plan. 16 outside zone runs, six duo runs. There was a holding on one of them, so five. And then four pin-pull runs, uh, which are sweeps, uh, lateral moving concepts. There was also a hold on one of those as well. So those were two holding penalties. Other things of note in this one, four drops in the passing game, one from David Bell, one from Anthony Schwartz, two from Michael Harley. And then seven, only seven play action throws. The Browns went four of six between their two quarterbacks for 38 yards on those seven play action throws. They had 11 throws versus cover one. They were five for 11, 49 yards against cover three, six of 10 for 59 yards against cover four, six of 13, where Rosen really struggled in the, uh, a lot of incompletions for Rosen came against late quarters looks, but they did throw for 74 yards. And then they did a nice job combating cover two that the Eagles threw out on four or five for 47 yards. They had 16 runs in this game against seven-plus guys in the box, and they handled it well. 14 carries, 55 yards, and nearly four yards per carry average against six-man boxes is where they thrived. 14 carries for up over 120 yards. Uh, sorry, up uh, up over 100. And, I think it's right at 100, 101, because they had that Dobb scramble too. So, a pretty strong performance in the run game. Uh, but again, I think the quarterback play, especially from Josh Dobbs, was everything Cleveland needed it to be. So we'll talk through each position group. Josh Dobbs in this one goes, uh, again, 14 of 20, 141 yards. A really effective game for him. And again, not just 
simplified preseason fluff stuff. Like he was completing some throws, layered concepts against quarters and cover three. There was a, a much more week one type of uh, passing game plan, in my opinion. It was not the simple Haas, Hank, speed out, spacing, uh, some of that stuff I talked about slant flat in week one. Like I thought they really got after it with some concepts that challenged him and put him to, had it made him have to deliver accurate throws. And I thought Dobbs did a really good job of it. When he was kept clean, he was 14 of 19 for 141 yards, technically only tracked as under pressure on three dropbacks. He threw one of them, but it was incomplete, so not much pressure to deal with. He was blitzed. He was 4 for 5 against the blitz, 27 yards, not blitzed, 10 of 15 for 114. All of those are good numbers. Uh, Non-play action throws, he was 12 of 16 for 122, 2 of 4 for 19 in those play action throws. They threw three screens with Dobbs. He completed those, two of those three for 26 yards. So that's a great number. He was really good in the medium passing game where he was 5 of 6 for 77 yards. That's 10 of 19 down the field. He only threw one ball, 20-plus yards, and that was an incomplete throw. Uh, 5 of 8 on short throws, 0 to 9 yards, 36. And uh, behind the line of scrimmage, we're talking some of those screens and quicker throws. He was 4 of 5, 28 yards. So good stuff all around from Josh Dobbs. And again, he continues to be... Uh, putting himself in a clear position to be the backup. I don't think the backup during the 11-game stretch here was a question, but he starts to raise eyebrows, and for me it does too, of is this guy a capable backup long-term when they move on from Jacoby Brissett's price point? If they could keep Dobbs for significantly cheaper as a backup quarterback, because he is a similar quarterback in nature to Deshaun Watson, a guy who clearly likes to play from the pocket, but can get out and move and use his feet, and we know that about him, and it was good to see him do that. He obviously had that 40-yard run, like, he can do those things, and that's why I think the similarities between structuring how he plays quarterback and it's a similar archetype to Watson, it's not a bad long-term plan. So I'll be very fascinated to see what they do with Dobbs. In the receiving game, the mixed bag, a lot of different people were in and out of this thing. You start with the two that are going to be Sunday guys. David Bell, three of four receptions were caught, 46 yards, looked fluid, looked fine, creates some separation. He was good against zone, didn't see a ton of man-to-man. Like I said, good against zone. He did have that drop that I did not like on that slot fade where he didn't extend and go pluck the football. Need him to do a little bit more of that. Anthony Schwartz targets all came against former LSU DB Kerry Vincent. It was two of three for 20 yards. He had a drop on a speed out, uh, again, playing against a player who's playing at depth. And Schwartz will probably play against corners with deeper off coverage to to avoid being run past by him. And I thought he did a decent job. I still just don't see a natural catcher of the football. He struggles to do the simplistic parts of reeling it in. But he was okay in this game. It wasn't like he was bad by any stretch. But those are your two big names. Mike Harley had a lot of targets, seven targets. He had three catches for 30 yards. Unfortunately, had a couple drops mixed into that too. Uh, not, Not the easiest of catches. One was kind of a little settle corner route, I like to call it, where you're selling corner and then pushing to five after that plant step and settling, and he didn't reel that one in, and another ball high uh, I thought he could have brought in. But not bad for Mike Harley, but he needs to impress more to make the roster. Uh, Jamarcus Bradley had a lot of later reps. He was two of five, so he had two catches on five targets for ten. Javon Wims had a nice catch, a really, really physical catch up the left sideline. Did a great job going up over Kari Vincent and making that play on a ball that was left too far inside by Rosen, which made it more difficult, but I thought he did a nice job reeling it in. Nakia Griffin-Stewart uh, gets a lot of uh, tight end reps, continues three for 33 in this one 
on four targets, kind of catching schemed up things over the top of boot or, or very quick uh, buckle up, uh, speed out concept throws and spacing. He, he's fine, still stiff. I think Miller Forrestal has a pretty firm grasp on that third tight end role uh, overall, so uh, just worth noting. Dalen Baldwin had a nice catch up on the left sideline on a back shoulder, go up and get it fade, and then almost brought in another left sideline route. He did not get the, the one foot in, so he got one foot in, didn't get the second in. Love to see him fix that because, again, I think he really has a nice feel for bringing the football in, uh, especially throws that are outside of his frame. I'm kind of impressed with with what he can do in those things as an X receiver, sort of limited route tree when he's been playing. He tried to catch another ball that was left inside, on, a, on, a, on a, I think it was a comeback uh, concept up the left sideline, but uh, could not quite reel it in as the DB got his hands through late. But he had a nice grasp on it, just couldn't finish the play. So uh, those are guys uh, in the receiving game who stood out again. You got a couple others like Jerome Ford who caught a couple out of the backfield, who's four catches for 26 yards, not anything really downfield he did have a nice 20 yard uh, screen reception where he was able to turn uh, 20 yards uh, technically 18 because he caught it behind the line but nonetheless a pretty good game from him rushing wise John Kelly had a nice one 14 for 66 very patient physical has a good feel for what this offense wants the running back to do again I thought he was really strong in this one Uh, Dearness Johnson two for 21 patient runner man and when he is uh, when it's clicking for him, you can see the game unfolding so easily for him. Jerome Ford nine for thirty one. He was able to uh, he was able to break out a nine yard run, which which really is about the strength of his day. The Browns ran, ran twelve gap schemes according to Pro Football Focus and thirteen zone runs in this one. Uh, so that's worth noting as well. Uh, highlight in the running back group is John Kelly forcing eight missed tackles. He had a long of sixteen yards. He had one ten plus yard run. But forcing eight missed tackles is pretty strong overall. Johnny Stanton got a couple carries, five yards. And again, it's worth noting, too, that the fullback just apparently gone. They didn't use fullback at all. Stanton was getting running back carries. So I really do think they're not going to carry a fullback this year. So that should be noted as well. Pass blocking grades. And listen, the front five as it started from left to right, and it was it was this way until almost the fourth quarter, midway through the third, getting close to the fourth quarter. Uh, so they went left tackle Alex Taylor, who who I thought had a pretty good game. Uh, Pro Football Focus charted him as having two pressures allowed, uh, and, and those two pressures uh, were situations of true pass sets, so third and predictable, but they were just two hurries, not a hit. Uh, but, but again, two hurries is what he was labeled with. But, man, I thought he played a good game. I think he's... I think he's pretty athletic. He's gotten stronger in his base, and I do think he's an NFL player. Somebody's going to scoop him up. I just really like how he plays the game. Played 45 snaps, played left tackle the entire game. The left guard in this one was Drew Forbes, who graded out with a 68.4 pass grade, blocking grade. I thought he was fine. Wasn't charged with any pressures of any variety. Thought he did okay. 23 total pass blocked opportunities. Again, you need to see him put together good tape, and I thought he, he did a nice job in this one. Michael Dunn and Blake Hans both graded out really strongly, neither of which gave up a pressure. That's your center and right guard. I like him. I think I think Michael Dunn is a perfect backup center, could even be a starting center. I'd have no problem with it. Hans obviously played tackle last year, more experience inside than outside, and he can clearly play the guard positions if they need him to. And he just has such a bevy of experience and in, in a variety of things now that he had that experience last year where he was put out on an island so often because he just they probably just didn't have anybody else. Uh, but I thought he played extremely good football, and I thought both Dunn and Hans, who were matched up with Jordan Davis, the 13th overall pick in the draft, that 
defensive tackle from Georgia. I thought they handled him pretty well. There's a couple times where Davis was able to get some bull rush on him. Pretty strong player at the point of attack. It's not surprising that he would get a couple bull rush moves on him. But they they helped each other out well. Head on the swivel. Thought they did a great job, the two of those, handling him. Right tackle was James Hudson in this one. They gave James Hudson no pressures allowed. I thought a pretty strong game overall from him. Feeder getting better and better. I think he's hand placement and resetting the hands after they get either, you know, slapped down or knocked off or lifted. I think he continues to develop really strong uh, attributes and and continue for me. I think he's the right tackle of the future once Jack Conklin's time in Cleveland is done. In the run blocking phase, hands stood out. He had a 90.3 grade and I thought he was phenomenal. Michael Dunn had his 85.3 grade and again also thought he was really strong. Drew Forbes graded out a little better in gap schemes because I think that's where he's better, uh, a little bit better kind of getting an angle and down blocking than he is moving. Not the greatest athlete in the world, but he was, again, pretty good in this one uh, overall. Alex Taylor gets a 62.7 better in zone schemes where he's moving, not quite as good in gap schemes where he has to block down on bigger defensive tackles and those power counter looks. But again, I thought he was fine. Uh, overall. Ben Petrula struggled in this one again. I think he is among the worst offensive linemen they have. I think that's abundantly obvious. In his 18 snaps, he had a 39.4 run blocking grade. And then in pass blocking, uh, I thought he was pretty poor in that as well. Uh, He actually graded out with a 64.5, but he gave up two pressures. The Browns collectively on the day gave up six. Yodi Froholt was charged with one. And then also Jerome Ford in the backfield was charged with one as well. I thought Ford was relatively good but again you're only getting two pass block reps if you give up a pressure on one it's going to knock your grade down a significant amount otherwise uh, i thought for the most part again these these run blocking snaps brock hoffman was okay he was a rotation player he came he came in late yodi holt yodi fro holt went to center and then brock hoffman was in at right guard this game instead of center and then dan moore was the left guard or sorry david moore apologies uh, the Grambling product was the left guard. And again, not surprising either of those guys are better at gap schemes than the moving zone stuff right now because that's just it's more challenging for young offensive linemen. Uh, but yeah, those were your your other two replacements and then your right tackle was uh, Petrula later in the game. But overall, I thought a pretty clean offensive line performance. One of the, the, the nice things about getting a great coach like Callahan is you get these types of performances from experienced reserve offensive linemen and the Browns have been lucky enough to have Hans Dunn, Alex Taylor, Drew Forbes for four like their third years in the system. And there's that's that's a huge advantage of so many parts of these guys who have been here. Now you got you got a, a wide variety of experience in the coaching style and system and the teaching points. And that stuff is why, in my opinion, you see a lot of success, a lot of you know, similar looks between players. Like I posted a clip on the OBR film breakdown of, of the two guards in, in wide zone doing a great job of getting that initial post and climb. And it was fascinating to me how it almost looked like they were doing it simultaneously in a simulation of sorts where they both did a great job of boom, posting inside and then climbing to the second level. It's worth your time. Go check that out. We're going to take a quick break for a word from abundance of our sponsors. We're going to have uh, everybody kind of in here in the middle and then we'll come back and then hear about the defense from every angle that we can talk about it. So we'll be right back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. So the defense in this one, uh, again, a weird game, a lot of moving parts. They did only give up 344 yards, 4.8 yards per play. Not great defending the RPO stuff Philly was throwing at them early. They gave up 144 rushing yards, and a lot, again, a lot of those came early, 200 passing yards, one throw for 55 yards. Hurts that a significant amount. Didn't create a turnover, and they only were able to muster one sack, which is a bit disappointing. That one sack was by Curtis Weaver, so... Uh, Philly really tried to get the football out early, which obviously helps. But nonetheless, that's the look at some of the peripheral statistics in this one. Philly's personnel usages, they went 43 times 11 personnel, 24 times 12 personnel, 13 times, uh, sorry, two times they used 13 personnel, three tight ends, and then two backs and two tight ends they did a couple times as well. The Browns played 22 snaps of base. 46 snaps of nickel with all seven of their five plus man pressures coming from nickel. And then they played dime three times, which is an uptick from the first week. And I think that I think they'll continue to do uh, considering their personnel. When they went dime in this one, they had Moffitt, LeCount and Bell. Bell was the dime backer in the middle of the defense, uh, kind of playing alongside a linebacker, whatever linebacker was in at that time. And then AJ Green was your slot. And then they were moving other pieces around, but that created a six DB look which is unique and something the Browns do with Ronnie Harrison and also having a slot corner like a Newsom or AJ Green on the field that'll happen this year. So when they did bring six pre- six man pressure, which is three times, use that boss front, three guys on one side, singled up on the other side with some walk down linebackers. Philly did eat that up. They had the 55 yard touchdown against that when they had six man pressure was brought and then two other completions for mid range yards uh, on those. So that, that's not all too encouraging. Coverage wise, the Browns had. 23 snaps of cover three, 
16 snaps of cover four, a pretty high uptick of cover one snaps where some of those are down on the goal line. So it's a bit of an uptick, but 15 snaps in true cover one cover zero. They got really aggressive. And I think three of these eight were outside of the inside the 10 yard line. So not an indication of neutral field aggressiveness in cover zero, but they did have three snaps late when they were trying to get some stops uh, to get the football back one more time. There was a singular snap of red two in the in the goal line situation where they almost had an interception. I think that was, uh, I'm trying to think of who that was that should have had that pick six and run it back about 100 yards. I actually think it was Herb Miller who had a chance to pick that thing off but just dropped it. Uh, from snap standpoint, slot uh, Sean Jolly got the most slot snaps at 30. And then DeAnthony Bell got 14 snaps in the slot. And then Levert Hill got 13. You saw... A.J. Green going to concussion protocol, which I've heard he's fine, uh, granted what we heard today, but for the most part, uh, he, he was going to be uh, doing some of that stuff uh, for the for the team in these preseason games and maybe even a week one arrival, getting him a lot of reps and being ready for it. And, and it seems like he avoids the concussion protocol, which is nice. Uh, snap leaders on the defense, Tony Fields had 34 snaps at linebacker, ended up with uh, two stop tackles and a total number of three tackles. Richard LeCount played 29, and DeAnthony Bell played 29. LeCount had six tackles. Uh, Jordan Kunazic uh, had seven tackles. Number 51 had a great form tackle in the game, if you recall, on a nice run fit in inside zone. He had seven to lead the team in 24 snaps. LeCount had six and 29 snaps as they put the safeties in a bind as often as they could. The highest grades in this one, Javante Moffitt had a collective 77 grade. Dakota Allen, the Mike Backer, had 77 grade and 20 snaps. Isaac Rochelle had 71.9 grade. Parnell Motley, a 70. Jordan Kunizic had a 69.6. And then Alex Wright, a 69.1. Those lead. Highest pressures, Curtis Weaver had two. Chris Odom had two. Rochelle had two. And then Perion Winfrey had one. And Tony Fields had one. The one sack we know came from Curtis Weaver. We did not see a batted ball in this game. We saw stop tackle leader was uh, Jordan Kunisic again. Five stop tackles which is a nice number. Nobody forced a fumble. We did not have any interceptions. But in coverage, we did have some pass breakups, two from Herb Miller, one of which should have went for a touchdown, as we know. And then Parno Motley also got his hand on one. So uh, that's your uh, active number. The guy who gave up the most receiving yards in his general area was Lavert Hill, who gave up that 55-yard bomb. That's not unexpected. A.J. Green was accredited with 22 yards allowed in 16 snaps. Herb Miller, 18 Martin Emerson, 17. I'm not sure why Emerson left early. I haven't heard. Maybe you guys have. I'm not totally sure, but nonetheless, he is uh, a guy to pay attention to coming back into this final week of the preseason. And then there were a couple penalties, one on Motley and one on LeBert Hill in this one as well. And then kind of closing here, looking at coverage grades, Dakota Allen had the highest coverage grade at 86.9 in the linebacker role. Kunizek had a 77.1. DeAnthony Bell, the safety, had a 67.7 field, 66.4 at the bottom down there is Lavert Hill and then Emerson, A.J. Green. They kind of were harsh on those guys. Uh, not a ton of throws. Uh, sorry, not a ton of snaps for Emerson and Green, so small sample size. But that's your that's your list. Uh, special teams in this one were not particularly good in my opinion, but again, I need to, to show you guys that and not just talk about it. Uh, showing you is probably the most important thing, and I'm going to talk to you about some kick return issues I'm seeing that I'm I'm really not liking. Snap leaders in the uh, special teams. DeAnthony Bell, 14. Again, it's a little indication that they like him quite a bit. Jordan Kunizic had 14, and I like I like Kunizic, man. I hope I'm saying his last name right. I really like him. Uh, he is a potential end-of-the-linebacker-room player. 
Luther Kirk had 12. Nakia Griffin-Stewart had 12. 10 from Parnell Motley. 10 from Dakota Allen. Alex Wright had 3. He was the highest grade, but again, 3. But DeAnthony Bell had that 66, which you, you really like. He had the only tackle on the day, uh, so not a ton of opportunities. Alex Wright had an assisted tackle, but not much to speak of for special teams. I thought the holding looked good, the kicking looked good. The one missed kick is tough because it cost him the game, but nonetheless, it was a pretty good effort from deep. Uh, but I thought they covered punts well. I thought the punt team looked fine, and Bjorkos kicked some nice uh, some nice punts in this one. Had no problem with that. They obviously let go of their other punter, so they uh, kind of made sure that, that, that Bjorkos was going to win the job. I mean, that's kind of what they announced, essentially, as the, the punter was a part of one of the cuts. So, um, yeah, that's that's the running list of specials. We'll dig into that a little bit more. I have something I want to put out on Perrion Winfrey because I thought it was really weird that he only played snaps starting in the second quarter and it's not like he came in for a new drive in the second quarter it was mid-drive right away which leads you to believe believe like a couple things could be possible right some injuries are holding him out but but that doesn't seem all too possible like he's not going to get lost in the depth chart he's not going to be behind uh you know two udfas and roderick perry and, and glenn logan i think that's kind of strange it almost smelled like a suspension a team discipline happened there where he was kept out of the first quarter intentionally. So we'll try to dig into his play. I think he's a really big point of concern right now. I want to touch this week on both Winfrey and David Bell to show you guys a little bit more about how they played in this one. So try to get that out for you as soon as I can. And I have a comprehensive All-22 breakdown for you as well. So thanks for checking out today. A lot of data, a lot of information. That's what these shows are going to be, these comprehensive breakdowns. Talk to you about scheme. But again, I'm not going to go crazy digging too deep on things of this nature and like with with all backups this week saturday game will be a real live uh you know run through for the first team getting ready for their trip to carolina i expect them to get some snaps against the bears a lot of names they got to get them ready they need to get them ready so let's uh let's hope we get something that actually matters when chicago comes to cleveland for a seven o'clock kickoff on saturday so we'll check back in we'll have some fun topics later this week digging in talking a quarterback play and some other things to have some ideas on. So continue to check out the show this week, guys. I appreciate you stopping by. I'll have my Tuesday chalk talk session where Kyle Murphy and I will break down some O line play and then have some other stuff to discuss uh, around, um, you know, performances from Josh Dobbs, so on and so forth. We'll we'll dig into some of that tape too. So join me on the OBR Twitch and YouTube. That's where you can watch them. There'll be a eight o'clock start time tomorrow night. So check it out. Thanks for stopping by for Tuesday's episode. Have a great day, guys, and go Browns.